Moving to the floor. I won't be able to get back up. Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel, and with me as always is Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? Doing just great. Just fresh off a nice dinner we cooked together and uh, feeling wonderful. Certainly better than my daughter, who's... Butt rash is out of control. Butt rash and teething. Great times for a 10-month-old. That's the dream, folks. That's the dream. So enough of butt rash. That's not what people are here to talk about today. Hmm. People are here. They're listening. They want to know about Episode 7 of The Rings of Power, The Eye. The Eye. Although, uh, to me, the just the title, The Eye, uh, would brought images of Sauron and all that, but I did not see any uh, links to Sauron directly in this episode, but they were certainly in the eye of the storm. Yes, I am very curious when Sauron is finally revealed, if this episode title will make more sense, that we can look back and be like, ah, I understand. Sort of like the trenches. When we finally figured out what the trenches were for, it was like, ah. Clever, clever writers. Mm-hmm. But for now, I don't know what the eye is, unless it's like the eye of Mordor, Mordor being established. I'm confusion. <laughs> That's my job. I know. <laughs> no longer deluded. Uh, let's jump right into it for this episode. Uh, a lot happened, and then also not a lot at all. There were a lot of plots going on, though, and mm-hmm. then converging of them. We had Galadriel's plot that overlapped with Theo's plot that then subsequently overlapped with Arondir and Bronwyn's baby plot and then touched on Muriel's plot. Yes. Lots going on. And Elendil's and Isildur, they were all tied together. Yes, because they were all leaving the same place originally. Isildur's plot was very mini. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Nori uh, and the stranger had their own... Kind of big events, I would say. And big they, events happened. And they finally got tied into the bigger picture because obviously some of the spew from Mount Doom's eruption entered their zone. So now they're part, or we know that they're close physically, and they are going to be bigger part of the story going forward, I expect. Definitely. And then, of course, we had Elrond and Durin. They, I'd like to finish chatting about them just because there's always so much goodness there in terms of quality of acting and happiness and you know some deep shit Uh, there's some great stuff there and you can tell the actors like working together right like there's a real play off of each other between the gent who plays uh elrond who apparently is a real lord of the rings nerd and um the the guy who plays uh during the fourth owain owain arthur great name great name and we also had a baby bit by Adar as well, just at the very end. Yes, with his children and the renaming and maybe the laziest writing of the show so far. Oh, oh how creative sequence. was that? Just doing the swipe on the title sequence. Couldn't even say it, Adar. Maybe they just couldn't get him back to do a, a reshoot to do it. I don't know. It, that, I mean, of voiceover all the work can be done in a closet. I understand that. Uh, of all the wonderful things that they've done, I just thought that was lazy. 
But it wasn't even like on the map that they'd been showing at the beginning, right? Like if they had done it maybe on the map instead of having the backdrop of Mount Doom now exploded. I mean, it was visually stunning, but yeah, it was, um, it felt disruptive to how the show has transitioned previously. And I guess we're just left to assume that they call it Mordor because of he, because Adar was one of the Moriandor. So there's a general link for that. I'm sure Mordor, uh, they may come back to it more later as to why, but. TBD. TBD. Uh, so anyone in particular you want to, you want to dive into first? I mean, we, we can dive into Galadriel just because it was such a gorgeous opening scene with the ash and the red sky yes. and the red air and the gentle opening of her eye as they pan over her to, you know, you knew that she was going to get engulfed in ash and flame a little bit too, but being a super elf, we knew that she'd live through that. But just her uh, coming to and, and trying to figure out what's gone on in the last bit, not knowing how long she'd been out because she took a big whack of the blast and then trying to collect her people. Uh, so she reaches out for Hallbrand, she reaches out for Miriel, she reaches out for Arandir and others, but I don't, did she actually call Theo? I'm not sure she actually no, called she, Theo. she heard Theo calling, right. mother, mother, mother. <laughs> Poor Theo. Yeah, I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was a really beautiful open. It opened with Galadriel's eye, yes. which given the title of the episode, I was like, well, that's interesting because we know that Galadriel is Sauron's greatest foe. Yes. And opening the episode called The Eye with Galadriel's eye in the middle of Mordor, right by Mount Doom, I was like, huh. I mean, yes, that, that could be the eye, although I would find it hard to call the whole segment the whole no, episode I, based on the quick flickering of an eyelash at the beginning of a show, but I just think that it was a fun little touch by Charlotte Brandstrom, to be honest. Yes, it was just it was a nice little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the episode title as she cued that up. Um, yeah, like you said, she was calling for Hallbrand first, repeatedly looking for her boy. Uh, she grabs Theo and she's like, "Let's get the fuck out of here." Uh, Stay low. Follow me. Follow me, Theo. One of the things. I loved that Charlotte Brandstrom also did this episode in addition to opening with Galadriel's eye was show how dark the soot and ash was from Mordor because we see Galadriel stand up. We see her find Theo. We see her kind of looking around, seeing what else she can find. And then we pan over and it's got to be 20 or 30 feet away. And there is Isildur trying to rescue Valendil. And a few minutes later, that's when the queen comes up and helps, you know, lift it off, lift whatever the collapse thing was that was on Velendil. But they were so close to each other, so close to each other and couldn't, could not see each other in that ash. Yeah, they did it beautifully. And don't forget, elves have the tremendous sight and she could not see through all this stuff. They did it with a very uh, dark red filter through everything, but it was obviously night. But it, by using that filter, they let us see so much detail through our camera, which they couldn't see, uh, that they do. And, and I mean, again, here's this elf with this incredible vision and almost gets run over by a horse who's burning. Yeah. Uh, coming towards her. So she, until the last minute, she heard and saw the horse. So, yes, very dark. We had the benefit of the of the red tint, but they did not. So that, that was really well done. It let us see all the detail, but it made you know that the, the characters could not see anything. That was well done. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back to Isildur probably after this. 
touch on what happens with him, just like I said, I wanted to to give Charlotte Brandstrom a little nod there. Theo and Galadriel, you know, they spy on the orcs a little bit. Theo's like, why did this happen? Both of them are blaming themselves for why this happened. Some really cute moments between Galadriel and Theo. You know, she gives him her sword. She said, when I was your age, there was no such thing as orcs. And then Theo asked how many she killed. And she said, oh boy, can't even start to count them. And he said something like, good. And she said, don't, don't say that. It darkens the heart to call dark deeds good. Good, yes. Another moment between them. So after the sword is given, later that I guess it's the same day. We don't really know. I I would imagine time it's lapse the same is interesting. Day. And and if you go back to what your what your mom asked, as she was watching the episode with you on your second time through and her first time through, is how come uh, Galadriel and Theo were alone? Why couldn't they do a thing? Why was everybody else elsewhere? I think you addressed part of it because they couldn't see each other. But we also don't know how long Galadriel was out. We there is no real time sequence on this, right? So uh, was she out for? A minute, uh, an hour, two hours, we don't know. But obviously things had started happening and she wasn't part of it. So she had to get caught up. And we, as the as the audience, got to get caught up as she got caught up as things moved along. So uh, w- again, really well done. Yeah. So whenever it is, it is nighttime at some point when her and Theo are sitting down, I guess, in like a... They're under a tree root. Listen to the Uruk talk. Yes, and they're they're having a little chat, and Theo asks her, have you ever lost someone close to, like, these baddies, or as a result of these baddies? And so she says Finrod, which the audience knows, because that was in the prologue of episode one. And then she says, surprise, yeah. her husband, Celeborn. <laughs> we know she's married. We know it's Celeborn. <clears throat> and that she's only married once, and we know Celeborn is alive, but she at this moment doesn't, she or does she not. doesn't want to acknowledge him or think about him. Whatever the reason, he's obviously alive. She will see him again because they are reunited in Lothlorien, but I'm sure there's lots of Celeborn and Galadriel stories that could happen in the Second Age that we are yet to see. Yeah. Uh, all we know is that they met in a glade of flowers. And danced. She was dancing, and he saw her there. Um, she hadn't, has not seen Celeborn since the day he set sail. He dressed up in silver armor, um, that was much too big for him. And so her last memory of her husband is her calling him a silver clam. Yes. That was pretty, I thought that was pretty cute, but. And uh, yeah. Don't fear Galadriel fans. Her man Celeborn will show up. I'm going to say in season two at some point. Okay. They haven't, as far as I know, they have not done any casting for him or anything like that. But See, I would predict season, season three or season four. Yeah, sure. I but think there's, there's going to no be other events, yeah, that there's happen, no and I think we're going to get a lot of Galadriel alone, and then we also need to give them time to reunite, because it's been a hot minute since they last saw each other, and both of them have been through their own kind of trauma. But even in the Fellowship, it's not like they were a hot couple just waiting to hang out together. They were together, but the Celeborn was a much different character than Galadriel, so he's quieter and a bit more reserved, not as... Not as uh, a big an elf as his beloved wife. Yes. They talk about the husband, which was a great reveal for the audience just because we didn't know the timing of when Celeborn was going to happen. And, you know, everyone's kind of pissed because I know the troll is like, where's Celeborn? She, she's only married once. Where is he? Yeah. Well, she is only married once. And uh, 
we don't know. And and to the trolls, like you're just assuming that just because uh, Grendel here thinks it's a, a sexual tension between between her and the hot human Hallbrand uh, doesn't mean that that's the way she. I still think she's in, in, she's more inquisitive about him trying to figure out as a king what he's capable of doing and what alliance she has because I think she's a military strategist and she looks at him from that angle. Hallbrand may be hoping to get a little bit of elf, but. I don't think it's a two-way street, so... Well, I mean, it is Sauron that we're talking about here. <laughs> um, but I will say, like, you know, what I see in that, knowing that she's married and knowing that there's probably guilt associated with it, that even if she has feelings for anyone else, she is going to clamp down on exactly. them pretty hard. Doesn't mean the sexual tension isn't there, because I'm feeling it. <laughs> uh, it just means that she, given what we know about Galadriel so far, she is going to take a lot for her to act on her urges desires yes so we'll see i it adds a wrinkle to this that i'm curious about mostly because i'm more convinced than ever that hellbrand is sauron and the dynamic between the two of them is something very interesting because we know that sauron i've mentioned this but we know that sauron viewed galadriel as his biggest threat and watching these two play off of each other and knowing just how I'll say yin-yang, just because the wheel of time is always in my head. You know, you've got the the black to the white. They're, they well, play the same, off of each that's other That's a very so Lord well. of the Rings theme, too. For every dark, there is a, a light. And even those that are in the light, there is a darkness to them. So that there's very much... Um, who's to say there isn't a little bit of goodness in Sauron? Me. I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. Another great quote from Galadriel to Theo as mm. they're waiting with the orcs. Do not take the burden of this day upon your shoulders, Theo. You may find it difficult to put it down again. Yes, I thought that was a great one. Maybe my favorite single line of the episode, although number two would have been the one you, you mentioned earlier. Um, so, she, yeah, Galadriel had great writing this episode and got to be featured so well. So yeah, did her plot move along? Well, we, well, towards the end, we know that she's heading back to meet Gil-Galad. Mm -hmm. That'll be a fun episode eight update uh, because um, she has been exiled. She jumped off the ship and uh, I don't know what Gil-Galad knows. He probably knows she didn't make it to Valnor and uh, is going to come. She at some point will come see him, but uh We'll see how that meeting goes because Gil Galad has has schemes upon schemes upon schemes. The actor in the New York Comic Con assured us that Gil Galad was a good guy. I think that, we have to call him Gil Gadaddy. Gil Gadaddy, yes, Gil Gadaddy. I think that's, that's <laughs> that was canon. a very funny moment. Yes. <laughs> um. So after you know, there's a little bit of tension, honestly. Very little tension <laughs> where the orcs are searching for them, but it was a nice little. I want to say homage, a nice little nod to Jackson with that first night that the hobbits are leaving the Shire and the um, the rider is coming down the road and get off the road. Yeah, that's right. And they all go hide under the tree root and, you know, he's scouting it. I mean, this was one orc above them, so it wasn't quite the same, but I just, I did think it was a nice little. Actually, that was a black rider, not an yes. orc. Uh, but yes, the, uh, it was a nice, I, I actually was thinking about that when they were going through with basically the experience, which the hobbits did not have at the time, the experience Galadriel basically saying to Theo, Sit down, you fool. We can't do this. This is we don't have the men, we don't have the position, we don't have the vision. Just lie low. We'll yeah. we'll figure our way out. Shut up. We'll figure this out. We have to go to camp. Yeah. And then they get to camp. 
And at 52 minutes into the episode, that is an hour and 12 minutes long, 52 minutes in, we finally find out what happened to Bronwyn and Arondir. That's the first time we <laughs> yes. see them. I wasn't really worried. No. I figured they were going to be okay. Well, Otherwise, Bronwyn I assumed... almost died in episode six. So we know any fantasy fan uh, knows that she's not going to die easily. So, and now she's got the, uh, the seeds uh, packing in her heart and uh, the garden is going to grow and she'll be healthy and all that good stuff. And it's too soon for Arondir to leave us, so. The only thing I was thinking of with respect to Aronwyn was that it could have been like that Kit Harrington movie, Pompeii, where at the end, Kit Harrington and his love interest are holding each other, and that's how their bodies are sealed because oh, of the Oh, he, he plays that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's the only thing I was thinking of with Aronwyn was like, I really hope they don't do that. You know, because, yeah. like, the last time we saw them, their arms were around each other calling for Theo. And that would have been a shitty way to die. Yes. But, no, 52 mm -hmm. minutes in, we get to see Bronwyn and Arondir. They're doing fine. They're just, you know, Bronwyn's out there healing. Arondir's helping. Theo hugs Arondir, so who looks that shocked. big emotional <laughs> uh, hug between Theo and Arondir. Of course, this is after Theo's been wandering through the hospital. He sees a, a body with a blanket dragged up over its head with dark hair, and he immediately thinks it's his mum. Uh, and so he's seeing just how bad the devastation was, as are we, because yes. we see it through his eyes. And uh, then happily, his mum calls from behind. Theo! Yes. This is why I'm not an actor. I, you know, voice actor. <laughs> Galadriel then goes to meet Muriel. So she doesn't stay around the sick tent. She's got better things to do. She goes to see Muriel, a really cute moment between these two Supremes, where Queen Muriel says to Galadriel, who kneels in front of her, no one kneels in Numenor. And Galadriel immediately responds, you are not in Numenor. So I'm a kneel to you because kudos. Also, you're blind. And that's terrifying. And it again, Galadriel thinks it's her fault. Queen Muriel has a great line uh, to Galadriel after that. Do not spend your pity on me, elf. Save it for our enemies, for they do not know what they have begun. Yes. I let the stirring speech, that was probably Muriel's best speech of the series so far. For sure. And uh, really, you know, Basically pissing Ellen Dill off uh, because Ellen Dill's pretty bitter at this point because mm -hmm. he mistakenly thinks. And sorry, I hope for nobody that's a spoiler. Isildur is not dead. Anyway, Ellen Dill uh, mistakenly thinks that Isildur is dead. But at this point, Beric has already run off and we know where Beric is going. He's go going to find his boy. He's going to go get him and bring him back. And just before they leave, there you go. He'll be back. Anyway, um, so other than pissing off Ellen Dill... Basically, she's saying, we're coming back. We're coming back in force. This is going to be my army. But uh, Galadriel then gets asked, so are they coming back? And she said, no. Because she knows when Queen well, she, Muriel she gets back. she said they are. She said, no, I guarantee it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Like she that's said, true. like Arondir says, do you believe her? And she says something like, it, it was stronger than belief. Yeah. It was basically a guarantee. Like she made a promise to return. The elves will be ready. I need to go talk to Gil. Gil Gadaddy. Although I think she's going to hit some reluctance because Farazan's <laughs> yeah. mounting some issues back in Numenor that we haven't been brought up to speed yet. But we'll find out next episode. Yes. Catch up with good old Kevin as well. <laughs> the final little bit of Galadriel's plot from this episode was 
finally finding Hallbrand. It was like she briefly forgot about him, and then she was like, oh, right, the, the king. king. Where he at? Could be important. He's in bed with this deep cut. He looks terrible, but she's like, hey, can you ride a horse to get some elf magic? And he's like, for sure, for There's, sure. I can do this. I'm totally fine. Uh, I was faking it the whole time. I don't know. I thought they'd give me banana medicine or something. No such luck. So he jumps on the horse and the two of them ride off. And this is why you're thinking he was Sauron. Uh, this is why he's Sauron because who is with Gilgalad? Celebrimbor? Who in... But he's not making rings yet. Not he's, yet, but he's who... He's finish that tower. Who gets in with the elves and convinces everyone? He gets in with and elves. Like, he gets in with... And I am using the he uh, because that's how he's referred to in Tolkien's books. Uh, he gets in with men. He gets in with dwarves. He gets everybody on his side. And he mm -hmm. takes many forms. I don't know how they'll do that in this. That is a Cimmerillion uh, line that uh, Sauron has taken many forms over the time to get his way and to, you know, get people in support of him so that he can lay his black magic. Is it Hallbrand? I'm still not convinced. I don't think so. Could he be the witch king? Yes. Could he be the man under the, or the king under the mountain? Yes. I still don't trust him to be able to deliver on his stuff. Maybe that's a Sauron thing. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited for him to get in there because the more I see of him, the more I'm getting convinced again that he's Sauron. But TBD. Ends with a cry of strength to the Southlands. Theo holds up the sword that Galadriel gives him. Ta-da-da-da. Off they ride. Overall thoughts on Galabadass this episode. Her character continues to grow. The the quotes that you brought up basically uh, talk. she's being more vocal about uh, don't celebrate death, don't celebrate the bad things because that will turn your heart. Uh, so she's realizing that you know, there's a good and a bad to everything, but she has to continue to drive towards the light. So I, I saw that theme play out for her throughout, including when she first gets up, she's trying to find the light, right? So she's trying to basically be able to see and do other things. Uh, great progression. Um, she's just a tremendous character. I just uh, more and more inspired by her just as a fan watching it going, man, this Galadriel, she's got it all. Uh, yeah. Oops, uh, the, the Mount Doom exploded and she didn't prevent that. But, you know, you can't stop everything. And, and she, I think she learned from that that she can't do it all on her own. So now she's going to get help from the elves, which should, you know, help turn the tide to some degree. But it's going to still be a fight to get Gil-Galad, gil, -Galad, gil on mm -hmm. her side. But uh, I'm, I'm sure he will because he also knows about Mithril and he'll want to have the elves kind of swing by Khazad-dûm on the way to help with the mithril mining, but that would be a separate plot. So. Yeah, that's a whole... Ooh, we'll get into that at the end. Galadriel, this episode, a quieter one in terms of, I guess, seeing her prowess and yeah. seeing her command. I kind of liked, for as much as I dislike Theo, I did like the pairing of the two of them together <laughs> in this episode because Galadriel, you know, she's seen it all and Theo isn't quite hero worshiping her. I mean, he is a little when he see like when he gets the sword from her, but just a really nice way to remind us that yeah, you can falter and you can fall. It doesn't mean that you will forsake the light forever. Like there right. is redemption. So there was a little positivity in that matchup I thought that I quite enjoyed. Seems to me that they're setting Theo up for something very heroic. Mm -hmm. So he's becoming this, he will become a leader amongst the Southland people, whatever they become, because they are going to migrate because Southland is gone. At least their home is gone. So they're going to have to start heading somewhere. Where they go, they talked about going to the south of Gondor, 
not yet called Gondor, uh, to that port city, which becomes a chance to move into Osgiliath or to Minas Tirith, but that's down the road. Uh, they'll need some folks from Numenor to do that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that migrates, because um, Elendil becomes the first king mm-hmm. of Gondor. So. Um, and speaking of Elendil, let's kind of wrap up our explodey buddies sure. in all of this uh, before we move on to, to Nori and the Harfoots. So Isildur, we see him, like I was saying earlier, lifting the wall off Valendil. He gets help from Queen Muriel. They lift the wall up. Valendil escapes. And they look down and poor Antamo is dead. Yes. Um, that guy who had been in one battle and that was good for him. He was such a pure heart, such, such a gentle innocent, spirit. Right? Yes. Uh, so that one, that was a hard death. I was, I was sad about that. That one, I was, I'm with you. I was sad. It, he didn't need to die. I understand why they did it, but he did not need to go. That no. was my thinking on that. Yeah, just a sad death that kind of really drives home the realities of war. And I think, you know, you're not going to kill Valendil because... Not yet. According to Peregrine... You know, Isildur is one of his sons, is named Valendil, so we need to see a little bit more of that relationship. No one else really is there that could create the same impact, so I understand why Antamo had to die, because we, the audience, need to understand It would have been nice if Kemen was there, because he oh, could have died, God. but he wasn't there Kill because... Kemen. Yeah. Oh my God. They Kemen, Kemen can go fuck himself. <laughs> um, and uh, from there, Isildur and Queen Muriel run into a burning building. Isildur holds the beam up. Queen Muriel drags people out. She goes back in, I think, to see if there's more people. The sparks fly in her eyes. Right. Yeah. Beam collapses. That's the last we see of a Isildur. And Queen Muriel is subsequently blind. And Valendil pulls her back so that yes. she doesn't go in. And uh, with, with that and Elendil, they start heading to the encampment. Yes. So it's, that's all we can do. But we don't know right away that she can't see. Uh, we see that she's in trouble, but uh, not until she's riding the horse uh, with Ellen Dill at her side do we get the... Yeah, when uh, she doesn't signal. dodge the branch. Mm. Yeah. And then again, when she asks how far till we're out of the smoke. And I, that was just truly, I thought, I like, that might be the, my rose of the episode in terms of impact. Because you can see the pain in her eyes and you can see it in her face, just how devastated she is by this tremendous loss. Um and the courage that she then has to say to Elendil and Valendil, we're not going to talk, like, don't stop. You must keep going. No one must know yet because they're not out of danger just yet. They are heading to the encampment, but they're still making their way through the the grit and the soot and the ash. And it's they're not quite out of the orc's den. Right. And so she prioritizes the safety of her people over this loss that she's suffered. And... um. Yeah, I mean, the more I see of her, I know I started out calling her Queen Mean. But she the was more a bit, I see, she was a bit cold up front. She but was, but she I, was reserved. She's quickly becoming one of, if not my favorite character. She's she's really a leader of the people, and I I have a lot of respect for her. The character's awesome, and watching her as the the actress talk about her excitement and the joy that she's had in filming it as part of that New York Comic Con, she was really dominant on the stage, and you can tell that she had a lot of respect from her peers, her other fellow actors. So that, it's coming through in her character. It's just, she's awesome. And I think she'll continue to grow in her character, etc. Yeah. Uh, another really standout moment to me, I mean, we can see that Ellen Dill is now trying to find anyone to blame 
for Isildur's death, and he has chosen to put that blame on Galadriel. I should have never pulled the elf on board. Right. I should have left her in the sea where I found her. He's blaming Galadriel. He's blaming himself. He's blaming everyone and anything. Um, really powerful moment, actually, between him and Beric. Yeah, but I think him knowing horses the way he does, mm -hmm. and with Beric's excitement... I saw a glimpse of hope in his eye, but he should have known Beric was running for a reason. Beric wasn't just running away. He was running to his owner. That's That was evident to me as soon as it happened, but that's probably because I know Isildur is not dead. Right. Uh, see, I took it as Beric and what Elendil, like he can control any horse. He has that gift. But he couldn't And I think he Beric. was so consumed in his grief mm -hmm. and his guilt that he didn't stop to think why Beric was acting like this. He just was like, Beric, this is where his rider left him and this is where he wants to stay and I have to set him free. You know, and 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 he does. And it a really powerful moment. I just you could see I saw hurt in Ellendale that he couldn't connect with Beric and he was begging him to get on the boat because it's all he had of Isildur. Right. That was his last you know, memory of his son is this horse and this horse is refusing to get on board with him. So he couldn't even bring his son's horse home and he had to let him go as well. So we left everything about Isildur in the Southlands. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I, I mean, I saw the grief and I know what it would feel like. I don't know firsthand what it would feel like. I can imagine what it would feel like to believe you have lost a, a child. Um, so I get that. And I thought he played it very well. I do like the actor oh. that is playing Ellen Dill. Uh, and he was still bound to his duty, but a little upset. So obviously, in the next episode or shortly thereafter, early next season, we will see a little makeup scene where Ellen Dill apologizes, maybe behind the scenes, maybe to Galadriel directly. But he'll they'll they'll kiss and make up. Maybe they won't kiss because sorry, I don't want to put that sexual yeah, tension out there. Do it. They'll hold hands. He'll give her a hug. He'll apologize and he'll be at her side when they do their next attack. Yeah, yeah. D like there will be. I kind of like that we're getting a bit of tension between Ellen Dill and Galadriel. I think it's a good writer's decision mm -hmm. because we can't have them just holding hands and skipping through the poppies together the entire five seasons. We need to have, add a bit of tension into strong relationships, and this yeah. is a good way to do it. It certainly introduced a plot direction I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it makes me sad. It's, it's, it's a sad way to do it. Um, but I'm intrigued and I'm curious yes. about when this will be repaired and how. Um there's only a couple other Aronwin, so that's, you know, Arondir and Bronwyn's <laughs> ship name that I guess I'm all in on now. Uh, they are heading to Pelagir to rebuild from the Southlands. So that is the southern point of Gondor. At the mouth of the river, a port city, which will lead, that river leads up to where Osgiliath and uh, Minas Tirith will be down the road as Gondor gets built out and the uh, some people from Numenor go there. I don't think that's a real spoiler because anybody who knows anything about Lord of the Rings knows about the foundations of Minas Tirith and Osgiliath. But for those that I just created a spoiler for, Sorry, uh, but that that that's a pretty well known plot line. So yes, but that's cool that the Southlanders are going to go to Peregrine. Yeah, Peregrine, Pe like Peregrine, Peliger, Peliger or something. Peliger. Um, yeah, no, I was I was pleased to see that that that's where they're going to rebuild. And Iran Deer is actually going with Bronwyn, which is something I did not see happening. I really thought that not, he was going to go with Galadriel. So far. Well, he may because the elves are coming. Mm -hmm. So he may uh, out of duty swing back. That may not happen till season two. Yeah. Because I, I don't know how long they can make episode eight, but there's a lot of stuff to wrap up uh, 
for this season. If they're going to have a lot of things hanging, is, is yes. my, my as we as we head into season two for sure. Uh, and finally, Adar is our last little remnant there. So we open. We don't open with the same character. But we open in the same location. So maybe yes. that is the eye. Maybe that is where the tower is built. Yeah, well, where... Um, I keep on forgetting the name of the town. Austereth? Austereth, yes. It was Austereth. And I think that might be Minus Morgul, which is one of the one of the other towers in... Uh, uh, like, there's the two towers, you know, that's... Mm-hmm. From, the two towers in the book, and um, one was Sauron's, and the other one was... I believe it's minus Morgul where uh, Shelob's lair is up the mountains. And I was wondering if that foundation, and I was looking for glimpses that they would pay tribute to the artwork and the layout that Jackson and team did as the, as the, the army of orcs were leaving minus Morgul as Frodo and Sam are climbing up unknowingly into Shelob's lair. Uh, and it did actually remind me of the base of it, but obviously the tower becomes really, really big really big. So uh, that will be one of the towers that Sauron would build when he when he shows up because yeah. apparently he will show up. But. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, well maybe that's the eye. That's the location of the eye and that's where Galadriel's eye opens. That's where the episode closes. It's with the Dar, Hail Adar, King of the Southlands. Fucking Waldrag is just there <laughs> like chanting like nothing. I swear if he becomes one of the Black Riders and is given a ring, I will be so mad. I don't think he will be because he's not a king, but like, you never know. He just annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> Adar talking to his children. This is our land. This is our home. Um, and then we get that awkward title sequence where Adar is like, <laughs> no, I don't want to. This isn't the Southlands. That place is gone. And then they're like, well, what is it? <laughs> and then it just like, there's no words, just like a very cringy. Mordor appearing on screen. So not not a creative direction I would have made, but it's no. you know what? I can live with it. If that's <laughs> if that's as bad as it gets, I can live with it. Um so anything else to say kind of about what seemed like it took up the biggest chunk of the episode, which was recollecting after the disaster that was the explosion of Mount Doom, which makes sense, right? I, there's so many characters impacted by it. Adar's celebration, yes. I will call it Mordor, but I won't say it. I will have the people create a graphic for me. Um, no, I, I, I mean, to me, that would that was a logical flow from where it would go the episode before. I, I, it was all handled well by character until the closing sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, the sequence of that of that sequence, the very closing sequence. Oh, I'll come back to that later. I was so wrong. Uh, anyway, um, uh, great, like I said, great growth by Galadriel. In my opinion, you can start seeing her understand the difference between the light and the dark and that they are, they are connected and <laughs> the you know, the dark is part of the light and the light is part of the dark. Uh, so I thought as played out, sad to see Antamo die, but the innocence had to go. Lots of other people died through that, but all the other main characters, they made it, they made it okay. through, and that's yeah. what we needed. So we as an audience had to feel something. Yeah, my only thought as the episode closed with where it began, which is back in the village of Ostirith now, burned to the ground, I am really wondering about Isildur, yeah. <laughs> and he's right there, and what is going to happen? Like, Isildur, fine, I- I've started to give a few fucks about him. Mostly I'm worried about my boy Beric, who already has a big ouchie on his right, you know, front leg, his 
hindquarter or whatever. Um, I'm worried that Barrack may go down. I'm hoping they won't. I'm hoping that Isildur and Barrack make it to the end of the five seasons together. But I am now very, I think, heading into episode eight. That's what I'm most excited about is Isildur's escape or capture. Uh, yes, uh, capture. I know. Nah, well, I, who knows? I, they could throw that twist in there. I'm assuming Beric's going to find him, and it'll be like the Aragorn sequence where the horse rescues and brings him back to thing. But we'll see. We'll see. He might just join up with the Southlanders for a while, and that might be the thing that brings Elendil back. I mean, who knows? Maybe we segue in with the stranger. Because mm. they're right there. And speaking of, uh, let's hop over to Nori and the Harfoots. As they enter the grove, and they're so excited to be there. Tra-la-la-la-la. Damn it. And now we as audiences can appreciate how close they are to the people, because uh, the a few rocks from Mount Doom came and exploded the beautiful grove. Trees are burnt and dead. The, the apples are crisp on the vine. It was, it was devastating to them. But look, maybe, maybe we can actually use the big lad with the tall the tall lad to help us out through. So at uh, Sadik Burrow's uh, coaching. I mean, he was already kind of up there doing it anyway. Yes, he Muttering was. to the tree. <laughs> Sadik really had nothing to do with it. Like boy, like, boy knew what he was up there to do. He did. And it was nice to see. I didn't, I didn't notice this time that he needed, like th- that his arm darkened or that he had any pushback or, you know, implications from using magic this time to encourage the growth or speed it up. It's probably what he did, uh, that there was no repercussions. So he's learning, he's learning how to control the magic and how to do it more gently and, and and more progressively. Maybe in creating a staff, he uses that wood to create the staff down the road because that obviously worked for him. It could be. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was that we see him met- muttering these languages, especially or these words. We see him muttering these words. We see what comes up in the subtitles, and the subtitles still refuse to say what language he's yes. speaking. But because my trusty fan- friend Google is around, I did Google what he was saying. He was speaking Quenya. Okay. He was saying Akuta. So K-E-U-T-A, which means restore, renew, refresh. He was also saying Aquita, uh, K-U-I-T-A, which means live. So in the same vein. And then Aenvinyata, uh, which means heal. And then Lote, which is flower. Ah. That little flower that popped up. Yes. So he was speaking in Quenya, trying to, like, just basically encouraging, encouraging the tree to live and encouraging the grove itself to rejuvenate. Uh, of course, that's not what it looks like to the Harfoots. Of course, yeah, that branch falls off, almost kills uh, little Dilly. Look but, out, Dilly, you dipshit. But good old Nori jumped in and pulled her down on the ground and the harmlessly fell around them. Mm-hmm. But with that, I mean, the Harfoots are basically like, well, time for you to go because we're scared of you. Uh, even Nori, and that kind of broke my heart. There was a great scene with her and Marigold where Nori is effectively doubting her own sense of adventure. And she's like, I'm just a hard foot. I way overstepped. I was wrong. And you can really see Marigold looking at Nori in that moment. And I think being a little crushed that her daughter's sense or of wonder, I mean, they both referred to like stepdaughter. Yes, but they refer to each other as, as mom and daughter, which I thought was cute. Um, but 
crushing to see your daughter lose that sense of wonder and innocence in the world. And uh, you could really see that in Marigold's eyes. Yeah, I think that shook Marigold up a little bit because after that, Marigold was much, much better and actually appreciated what Nori started out to do. Mm -hmm. So from then on, Marigold becomes the cheerleader and actually encourages them to go off and find the Starman who had been sent away erroneously by Sadik at the behest of the leaders of the tribe. Maybe he misunderstood what he was actually being asked to do. And then they said, now you got to get him back because look at all these freaking apples, man. The apples are amazing. Um, yeah. And like that, they wake up the next day and they're like, oh my gosh, Apple City. They harvest all day. They fill their carts with all of they're the- They're going to make applesauce. Oh my God. Apple sausage? Yeah. I said applesauce. Could also be apple sausage. Whatever. It's very good. I it's like it. It's delicious. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're filling their carts with all the food. They're happy. It's a really great, fun moment. Poppy's singing a ditty, splashing around. She's got great songs. Sees a giant fucking footprint. And then I thought one of my, the funniest moments was just like, Poppy gown, baskets <laughs> yeah. in the water. And then less funny moment, we follow that basket down to like fucking Eminem and co. <laughs> And I believe you refer to them as the slim shady motherfuckers. Jesus, they're creepy. They pick up the basket. We then see them later that night by the same tree that a stranger had been trying to regrow. They start heading off in the same direction that he had left. And Nori girl, tries to fool them. Oh my gosh. She comes running out and she's like, you're going the wrong way. Oh, honey. Oh, sweet child. You the are innocence. You are playing. And even Largo, her father, then comes out with a torch and he starts brandishing like you harm a hair on her foot. Like I'm coming for you. The fire is stolen from the torch. It probably a backfired move mm -hmm. by Marshall Mathers. <laughs> and then uh, that fire is subsequently blown into the carts that they had filled that day with all of the food. So just like blow after blow to these poor Harfoots, casually blow up their wagons and then get on their way. Well, I, I think, you know, um, Largo was, this was his big moment where he's like, guys, we're Harfoots. We're, this is what we do. We roll with it. We come through and, and we're winners when we come through. We we don't fight the big guys. We're not the dragon killers. We're we're Harfoots. We, we are one with the land and we're one with each other and we, we protect our own. So that's what we do. And and they would get their stuff together. They will harvest more of the apples because there was lots of them. There were a lot. And they'll be fine. They just have to figure out how to move things along because most of their, their wagons were burnt out. But you, you know they'll be okay. They didn't show us with all the rebuilding, but there'd be stuff that was going on. Because while they were doing that, then four hobbits set off. Interesting that they chose four. Mm -hmm. But anyway, four hobbits set off to go find the Starman and uh, see if they can bring him back. Because, hey, this guy might be okay. And he might be able to help us with our wagons, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We, uh, we maybe were a bit too hasty. Hasty. Yes. Uh, so Largo's quote there. Um, I mean, I liked it. I'm just not a big fan of Largo. Like, his speeches don't resonate with me the way I think the writers want them to. He's not Bilbo. He's not uh, Frodo. He's not Sam. I'm just, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not, maybe they want Sam vibes. I'm just not getting them. No. But it was a nice speech. You know, it's, we're Harfoots. We stay true to each other no matter how the path. It's more like the, the gaffer path, to me. Yeah. We stay true to each other no matter how the path winds or how steep it gets. We face it with our hearts even that are even bigger than our feet, and we just keep walking. Right. 
So lots of beautiful metaphors in there. It's just, uh, yeah, it's not doing it for me. And then the four, the four Harfoots that set out are, of course, Nori and Poppy. We knew that was happening. Marigold. Marigold is a surprise. And Sadik Burroughs. And Sadik Burroughs, the trail finder. Who is a pretty funny guy. He has a few funny lines. He cracks through me that, up. Through that uh, sequence. But he was getting a little sour there. I'm glad that he... They allowed him to, the character to get corrected while he went off with them because he was like Mr. Doubting Thomas of everything. He didn't trust this new stuff, but now he realizes, huh, I might be all right. Let's go get him because he can help me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. I don't think we're actually going to get a lot of them next episode. Could be wrong. I think we'll get some glimpses, but I don't think that they'll be the main plot. And I think the foursome will not find the stranger next episode. I think it might lead into season two. But we'll see. Um, or if they see him, you know, maybe there'll be a, it'll be like we see him, but we can't quite reach him. So is the, is the stranger going to find Queen Muriel and the Numenorians before they sail? Uh, well, or... we saw Muriel on the ship already at the at I think the they end. were still in the dock, though. Okay. And, and well, I think I think they were. I don't think they had started. Maybe maybe I missed that little bit. Because they swung back to Durin and, and Elrond. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, or will they connect with uh, Galadriel and Hallbrand as they start heading towards the home of the elves? I can't see the stranger not connecting with somebody else yeah. and then bringing the Harfoots into it somehow. Yeah, I agree. These guys have been doing their, uh, or these Harfoots have been doing their own thing pretty much the whole season. It's time to loop in, loop them into the bigger world. Yes. We need that. Uh, just from even like a writing standpoint, we need that. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about Nori. It, again, it didn't, it, was... move the, it didn't move the needle a whole bunch. You just see more of the gentle nature of the hobbits, their tendency to be close to the ground and, or close to Mother Earth, and uh, and they're good to each other. I think that's just what hobbits are. I think, I think they just used this episode to reinforce what we know about hobbits. Yeah, and uh, reinforce how fucking scary those hunters are, whatever they are. They got I'm big feet. So... Yeah. And they're tall. They are, but they didn't... I have lots of questions, and I'm a little bit nervous about them. I don't know who they are, and I don't know who they could be in the lore or in the world. I don't know why they had to be so mean and burn up the things. And no, I don't think that guy's Sauron. Um, no, I don't know. Definitely not. But why they had to do that, I guess, maybe, you know, in their mind, they were defending themselves. But anyway, uh, more to come, because this is a, a, a set of characters I can't think of what they evolve to or what they become and it could be hidden in a, a paragraph in one of uh, Tolkien's things that I just didn't pick up on so I know I know um, Peregrine had a couple thoughts about that but uh, who's to say we'll, 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 we'll see, see. Where they go. more in episode 8 for sure for on those sure. guys yeah. evil 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 moving on from that uh, speaking of characters that need to be looped into the bigger world we have the fabulous Elrond and Durin duo could watch them all day oh i could gosh. watch a whole episode just with elron and, and durin going back and forth and having some fun they're just, just great growing out and digging i've read some trash uh tweets about how elrond doesn't embody tolkien's elrond i i so completely disagree with that i think that the actor and the character the way they're writing him is very much elrond as we see him in the hobbit is very much elrond as i've you know, read some of the early stuff, even though I know they don't have rights to the Silmarillion or other things. Uh, so I, I, I fully disagree. I think he's got all of the characteristics. He's thoughtful. He's got sight. He's got friendships. And he, he puts things 
first rather than being all about the elves. So that's Elrond. He's just, he's special. He's a different elf and he is, he, he does have magic to him and he does fight, but we haven't had to see that yet. He's working on politics. Well, and I, I really love that he also referred to himself as Elrond half elven in this yes. episode. And he said, I see things about the elves that they can't see about themselves Perfect because line. I am half human. So I see it. That's why I am here alone talking to you. I am here begging you to help me save the elves, Durin the Third. Yes, unfortunately, King Durin, he's still too protective of his realm and he doesn't trust the elves. And he probably has reason for that in the background. He hasn't really worked with Elrond before. He thinks his son is just too rushing into things. He loves his son. You can see that in their exchange. But he, he thinks Durin the Fourth is just jumping into things a little too, too Got quickly. Got really offended when uh, Durin the Fourth tried to compare Elrond to a brother that would have also growing in his mother's womb. Yeah, don't don't that, bring your mother uh, into this, you little whoa. twit. That so. that set off some sparks. So that was it's, bad. It's interesting. Like Durin the Third clearly has a hate on towards the elves. Um, doesn't like the familiarity between Durin, like his son and Elrond. Um, wondering if we'll get into the backstory of that, or if we even need to, and we can just kind of take it at face value. Um. Great moments from Disa in this part two. One of my favorite moments of the episode, the whole episode, is when um, when Durin the fourth comes back to Disa after Elrond had begged Durin the third to let them dig. No decision had been made except to say like we're not doing it. Like thank you so much. Um, and Disa is just pounding away at that forge like she is venting her rage she is pissed yeah and she is taking it all out on that forge it was really cool to see like lady blacksmith um, uh, yeah but lady dwarves um you know they're hairy if you remember gimli's line uh the lady dwarves uh definitely have the smith thing what it showed was an ambition though mm -hmm. in Disa, which we really hadn't seen before and you know, she knows she's going to be queen someday, assuming, you know, Durin the Fourth doesn't mess it up too much for her. And she wants to rule with her husband as a partner, which is cool. Why not? Uh, so, um, just just the ambition that she has, that was the first time we had a peek at it. Yeah. That ambition in her exchange, though, led some people to think that she was Sauron. Oh, it's a fun, like, I don't believe it, but no. I thought it was fun. And not maybe not that she's Sauron, but that he may be her, her in that moment isn't really Disa at all, that it's a projection from Sauron about like your own deepest, darkest, like Disa might not even be there. It's just like using the image of her to create this like desire within Durin the fourth to keep digging down by the Balrog. One of the most beautiful scenes of the episode, again, you know, just everything comes down to Elrond and Durin. Um, but that leaf on the table, mm -hmm. I loved the moment where Elrond said, thanks so much. I actually can't stay for dinner. I'm pretty upset. Gotta go. Bye. Gotta go. And, you know, the mithril is tossed onto the table and Durin the third watches the leaf be healed. And he sees that and he believes and he wants to do the right thing. He wants to give the elves this mithril. That is not about digging deep. It's not about creating legacy. It's about saving the elves. They are asking for help. They are swimming and they are asking for a hand out of the water and Durin the fourth wants to give it to them. Um, really great moment. You know, then he starts calling for Elrond. They do a little secret digging together and like I could watch Open them. Open up a whole new hole. <laughs> could watch them like mine all day. Like they could be like property brothers and I'd be into it. I love that little exchange where um, 
they were talking about the uh, the battle they had in the episode one. I think it was episode one. It might have been two, where they had the rock crushing thing, mm-hmm. and, and uh, finally Durin realizes that maybe he was allowed to win. Yes, but my love, Elrond's a little smug. Well. I was winded. I was winded. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and then you get the uh, the great uh, from Duran. That would, this, that banter they have is excellent. It's the best. And yeah. I mean, even watching the two actors in real life, like it's clear that they have a great rapport both on and off camera. And I can't it comes wait through. It just comes through so clearly. They're like the Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan of this turning. <laughs> yes, of exactly. Lord of the Rings. Then uh, during the third, you know, right after they break through, we see. The Mithril, they've done it. Durin the Third crashes the party. Elrond gets thrown out on his booty. Durin the Fourth gets reamed out by his dad. There's a cute story about how Durin the Fourth, you know, there was something wrong within him. He wasn't supposed to live. Durin the Third held him to the fire every night because we learned that, you know, dwarves are created from fire and rock. Fire and rock. And, you know, held him to the fire every night, helped him breathe, had this vision of this, you know, clean-shaven babe with a great beard of a king saw that for his son and then he proceeds to rip off you know basically i'm 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 assuming it's the the prince's plate we'll yes. call it the prince's plate part of his armor but that was after he invoked uh, you know elrond's my friend could have come from the same womb which ticked off the king somewhat but you know through that hole and and even when uh, king durin threw the leaf through the hole and it sunk all the way down. We saw all those veins of Mithril and you get a feeling for just how much it is. And then of course my big phobo Oh, episode seven's too soon. They got time to show the Balrog. And where does it go? It burns on the ground because the Balrog has already been exposed. Oh, that was so early. I know, but I sorry I, like, fans. I also wonder because everyone knows the Balrog is down there and we know what happens to Kaza Doom. If it's just saying like, hey guys, don't forget about me. Yeah, and don't, 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 don't. I mean, the Balrog, we don't have to see much more of just to know, uh oh, yeah, he's down there. When they go back and they start mining the Mithril, they will start seeing dangers around the Balrog. So, okay, yeah, that, yeah that, I mean, like people disappearing, you're going to chalk it up to, especially what with what we saw um, regarding Disa's ambition yep. and what she wants. And like, even during the fourth, like, you're afraid to lose a few men. I think if dwarves die from the Balrog or like fall in, they're going to blame it on the dangers of mining Mithril and keep going and not necessarily think that there is a very bad monster. Yeah, they don't know it's there. We know as the fans. And I guess from the series perspective, it's a great tie back to the Fellowship of the Ring movie when, of course, Gandalf on the bridge, you shall not pass. And then, of course, he gets sucked down into the caverns. Fly. Yes. Um, yeah, another great moment uh, between Disa and Durin while they're talking about this. You know, Disa just goes for the jugular of Durin the Third and is basically like, this old ass white boy, like, he is going to die soon. And like, you and I, we will dig. We will dig one day. And this is on the heels of Durin the Third telling, you know, his own son that. How dare you invoke your mother's memory so you can betray your own kind? Like, all due respect, Big Durr, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <King Durr. laughs> like, that's the meanest thing that you can say to your son. 
Yeah, that was pretty cool. Obviously, you know, I know you and I have never had that issue where something crosses a line and one of us might lose their temper on anything. <laughs> so it was just that was it was a natural exchange to me because uh, every now and again, you know, so the king, the king had his line crossed and Don't it was too pick much. It up. Yeah, it's not doesn't belong to you. Yeah, so he was just a little over. He'll calm down because he is still a king and he knows and it's his son, but he. Um, I don't know how far he'll come back. I don't know where that storyline is going to go. I don't, you know, it's just not one of those things that's talked about a lot in, in the in the Tolkien stuff that I've read. But yeah, you know, they'll they'll be they'll be all right. Something will happen next episode with them. Uh, I assume uh, we'll get uh, Elrond heading back to uh, see Gil-Galad give him the update. I think we'll get the uh, reunion between Elrond and Galadriel that you've been asking for. Since episode one, so it'll be close to the end of episode eight, but that's okay. Uh, But, I mean, again, great sequence, good good actors, love them. I I want to see more of Elrond and Durin, although it'll be in separate scenes, I think, next episode. But they're just great characters, great actors, and... uh, love where that arc has gone so far so we'll, we'll see uh, where it goes i think we'll see lots of king duran and prince duran interaction with some diza nudging behind the scenes yes i am i'm curious i'm excited i'm hoping that we'll get a agreement to mine mithril next episode i think that's optimistic probably not going to happen but i'll keep i'll keep hoping either that or there's going to be a coup yeah <laughs> like duran the third is getting overthrown by diza i think duran the fourth has more respect for the crown and the authority because he's been yes. brought up with it. So yes. he, he knows what's coming. He's, he's the Prince Charles of his days. Ugh, okay, not. Prince William. <laughs> <laughs> Prefer Prince Harry, but you know, can't always get what we want. All right, closing thoughts. Any final predictions about where we're going with the season finale almost upon us? The only thing I would say that I've been troubled by is. I don't know if it's the producers that are doing it, if it, it's the showrunners. They, they're they almost insisting that Sauron has to show up next episode. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when you went back to watch it on Prime tonight, just to get make some notes, make sure your quotes were right, and so uh, my charming wife could watch it with you, uh, the, the big image was the image of King Sauron, or Sauron the leader. Uh, so this is, we're, we're recording this on a Monday evening, Thanksgiving Monday in Canada, and they've got this big image of Sauron standing on the castle <laughs> overlooking it. So it's obviously the show is putting this out. Well, Sauron's going to be revealed. I don't, I, it doesn't have to. No, that, I don't want it to. I, Let Halbrand like hang out for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it, it, if, if the, uh. If the image they're portraying, it, it was in his full regalia, all the armor, the crown, etc., etc. So, unless you know, we did see the the glove on Adar. We saw um, Hallbrand in armor. Uh, we've seen elves in armor. Is it one of them that come out with all that stuff and spin, and we get to see what Sauron's about? I hope not. I mean, we did get that glimpse of him wearing that regalia back in the prologue of episode one. Yep. So it could just be that that they're building on. I mean, prior to that, it was like those, it was Eminem, like Slim Shady and co who were up there and it was just like evil walks among us or like some shit. So I don't know. 
I like it could totally just be a red herring. I hope it um, is. I, I really hope it is. I, I, there's so much other stuff going on. They don't have to be seeing Sauron yet. More no. mystery about how he, how his influence starts to spread. It's got to be subtle because everybody falls for it. And if Sauron comes out and exposes himself as this king of mean, why would they align with him? Why would they let him in? Why would they let him behind things? Why would Celebrimbor? Got to be your favorite elf. Why would Celebrimbor start mixing the, the rings, uh, you know, at the behest of Sauron? Although he doesn't do the one ring. That's all Sauron. So to me, I hope there is no Sauron uncovering. I think they're doing it just to create that mystery. But uh, what I do expect, Numenor will go back. I think uh, Farazan will have laid his plot to start throwing over Queen Meriel. He'll get a little, she'll get a little sympathy because she's now blind. Elendil will be still smoldering, but uh, should hear about Isildur, I would think by the end of next episode, it might slip till season two that he's alive and then he'll be happy again. Uh, of course, we'll see Beric finding Isildur and, uh, you know, him and the horse coming back somewhere to, to, to work with folks. And uh, I think the pursuit of the star man by the, the Harfoots will happen. But yeah, does do the Slim Shady folks get the star man first? I hope not. Do the hobbits find him? I'm with you. I don't think so because they're going to be on a bit of a longer quest. Uh, or does one of the other things, is it Galadriel as she starts swinging back to the elfin kingdom or is it Queen Muriel because the star man gets there before they actually depart in the ships? We'll see. We'll see. Lots, lots to unpack. I think we're going to spend a lot of time in Linden with Gilgalad. Yes. Uh, we haven't been there enough. There's going to be lots happening there with Galadriel and Elrond and the disappointment about the Mithril. And we've heard Gilgalad say, you know, the leaves are all turning. Like our time is very quickly upon us. So there's a great sense of urgency in Linden. I'm excited to spend some time there. It is so beautiful. And it's been a bit like it's been a moment since we were yeah. there. Well, since we saw the little fairy tale about the Bal Balrog and um, yeah, was it Feanor? Feanor? Yeah, and I really don't think that we that was you know it, it was a few minutes that we spent there, but it wasn't like fully yeah. in Linden. So, so I'm Elrond will get back there, and I do think Elrond will report to the king because once he starts seeing the leaves turn, that Mithril works, that it really mm -hmm. will do it. I, I think it'll plant a seed with Gilgalad that. If he takes his army in support of Galadriel, it'll put me close to it. And then, you know what? Once we're kind of done sweeping that mess up, we'll do a little swing by Khazadum. And by the way, when we're there, Celebrimbor, fix up those gates. The, the, the things that Elrond <laughs> got thrown out. Oh, hideous. Use the moonlight or something. Do something <laughs> fancy. Uh, Rose and thorn of the episode for you. Well, the thorn is the reveal of the name Mordor. I just thought, <laughs> come on, man, you've done so much good stuff. And then that little thing. And I actually think the rose for me was just that opening sequence of the ash and the red, red sky uh, and, and just the flickering of uh, Galadriel's eyes. It, you know, hope is awoken. It just, I just loved it. I, I, I actually, when I watched it by myself, because I think you had fallen asleep the first night, I I watched it by myself and I actually replayed that segment about five times. I liked it so much. It was just so cool. Yeah, it was beautiful. Thorn, same thing. I, I think that's probably unanimous throughout the Phantom, <laughs> that title sequence change. Uh, Rose, for me, you know what? It's the hope that we see when Beric rides off to find Isildur. We know Isildur lives because of the prologue from Fellowship of the Ring. It's not a spoiler if you're 
a movie watcher or a book reader. We know he lives. The question is how. The question is what happens between now and then. We don't right. know. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun adventure. And I am just here for my boy Barrick. And I am so excited for him to reunite with Isildur, hopefully next episode. I think you can bank on that one. Yeah, I think so sure. too. All right. That wraps it up for us here today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Feather and Mountain is available on all major podcasting platforms. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and in a little nook on the Wheel Reads Discord server. Links are in the description. You can email us at featherandmountainpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any critiques about the show or comments that are not positive about the showrunners or writer's room um, with all of the effort that they're putting in, you can kindly send that to uh, gaping eye at awkwardtitlesequence.com. Again, thanks for listening. We will see you next Thursday oh. for the season finale debrief. We might actually be able to record together again. We will be able to record together again. I think Peregrine's going to be in the room. Peregrine. Oh, mm-hmm. that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be back mm-hmm. in the East and can do it together. So looking forward to that. I'm st- Episode 8 is going to be fabulous. I'm so pumped. We're excited. All right. All right. Got to go. Bye. See ya. Pause. The dog needs to come. Oh, darn it, Henry. That also means I have to stand up. Oh, when you guys get older, you'll understand. Butt scooching. That's me doing <laughs> butt scooching. Butt scooching. Wait out. Hello, Henry. Do you need to be in here? Do you want to be right here? Come here. Come in. You're an idiot, Henry. Very good. You're special. Okie dokie. And out you go. Nope, not laying on me. I love you and all, but nope. Odd duck. <laughs> Dog. <laughs>